0: G'day, I'm Barry Green. Thanks for joining me on Conversations on Radio WA. My next guest is not West Australian, but has had a significant contribution to a conservation project in Western Australia, Dr John Wamsley. G'day, John.
1: G'day, Barry. How's it going?
0: I'm going well. Now, your name has been familiar to me and many West Australians who are interested in conservation of wildlife. Um, And you've just released a book called A Vanishing Kind. And if I can just uh, read a review by David Higgs, MBE, MSC, the Director of the Environmental Press Agency, A Vanishing Kind by Dr. John Wamsley and Stephen Davey is a joy to read. It tells more than just the story of Earth Sanctuaries Limited, that Australian mathematics professor turned pioneering conservationist John Walmsley founded in 1988, and that later became the world's first stock market listed company dedicated to saving Australia's most endangered species. Such a book has been needed for a very long time. It should be on the essential reading list for any student of the environment or conservation. Wamsley's controversial, radical, pragmatic approach revolutionised conservation in Australia. The book hooked me from the minute I opened its covers. It is a gripping roller coaster story through well-written, objective, tragic and painful in places, nevertheless told with affection and respect for a stubborn, opinionated, unapologetic, single-minded, obsessive, passionate and brilliant individual. It had me laughing and it had me in tears. So, opinionated and unapologetic, is that you John?
1: Oh yeah, that'll do. Yeah.
0: <laughs> so, That's okay. <laughs> <laughs> so, tell me the story. Say so, the, the, the sanctuary, I've followed it for a long time. We actually invested some funds in Earth Sanctuaries Limited and I, was, I used to really enjoy reading the, uh, the, the, the bulletins on the progress you're making on saving these native animals. Where did it come unstuck?
1: It came unstuck because it was too successful in the sense that it actually saved species from extinction at no cost to anybody, the government or anybody else. And this caused a lot of people to ask questions of the Department, the Federal Department of Environment, as to what they were doing with their billion dollars a year they're spending on the environment and not saving anything. And so they were embarrassed and public servants react in normal set way. If you watch Yes Minister on your program, you'll know all about it. But the easy way for them was simply to close me down. So they did.
0: And what was the mechanism they used to do that?
1: They did that by basically insisting that because... I was dealing in endangered species and because Australia was a signatory to CITES, therefore you weren't allowed to trade in endangered species and therefore all my wildlife had to be valued at zero, no matter what it cost to buy them or what I could sell them for. They had to be valued at zero. Not only that, but the fences that I built to keep the foxes and cats out had to be valued at the price that they can sell at basically as farm fence prices and the feral eradication of the sanctuaries had to be written off. It couldn't be give a value. In other words, land with foxes and cats on it is exactly the same price as land without foxes and cats on it. And so we had to write off everything we spent basically. And that meant that under the law, you can't raise money off people uh, as an as investment as a company, you can't raise money off people if you spend it on something that doesn't make money so we had to write off everything and that collapsed us. We weren't in a position where we were allowed to raise money anymore. Even though we had some millions of dollars in the bank, we weren't short of money. We had no problem raising money. We put out a prospectus and people had flood flood us with money. And they didn't flood us with money to make money. They flooded us with money because they wanted to save wildlife.
0: And that's certainly the reason we contributed. The saying, hell has no fury like a bureaucrat's scorn sort of comes to mind here.
1: Yeah, that's right. So it was quite devious the way they did it and quite uh, probably in a sense unlawful, I think. I suspect if I was rich enough and sued them, I'd probably win a case against the federal government. But I didn't do it to make money and I probably I thought I'd proven my point. I'd showed that we didn't have to lose our endangered species if we didn't want to. And so... Uh, I politely bowed out and I was under a lot of pressure. I was on the verge of a breakdown because of what the pressure they were putting me under. And so I decided it was time I had a holiday.
0: Good on you, John. Good job you did because you're still here and uh, you have proven the point. And Australia that came to over a few hundred years ago... Uh, those animals were an integral part of the system along with the the Australian Aboriginal management of the Australian landscape. And it seems at last maybe Australia is waking up to the fact that we need to learn from Aboriginal management of the Australian landscape and we need to find a way to uh, get those animals back into the system because they are part of that system.
1: Yeah, well, that's the problem. And uh, I don't think that the uh, people in power understand that. They seem to think that you can use traditional techniques to look after the bush when the bush is no longer the traditional bush. And so there's a lot of confusion on this. But what is true is that if we want to save our wildlife, you say every hectare on Earth evolved as a community, a unique community of living organisms all needing each other and the community needing them all. And we're gradually trashing these communities and so when as the links break you get uh, some of these organisms have got no place anymore so we class them as endangered or rare or something and we decide we put them in some sort of zoo or museum or something and whereas the only way to really save these organisms and to save our biodiversity is to restore the communities and to restore the communities we've got to look at what was here before and somehow get it back there of course every bit of australia is probably a bit different but here in the adelaide hills we went from having grassy woodlands with a hectare of land would have had 400 species of uh, things of uh, plants growing on it to shrubby woodland with 40 species of plants growing on it. So, the loss of biodiversity has just been massive, and the, the, you just haven't got the food supply for the animals. You haven't got the 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 anything. And as well as that, the change from grassy woodland to shrubby woodland means you go from an area that the fire burns in grassy woodland, you can sort of walk through it. And where a shrubby woodland, you get a fire you know, 40 metres high going through. So the whole thing has changed and uh, we've got to understand that. We've got to make a decision. Do we want to save our biodiversity or don't we? And if we do, well, it's quite clear how to do it and we just get on with it. It's
0: interesting that you were trying to use a, an economic model to save that uh, the wildlife and... Uh, We talk about biodiversity, I think economic diversity is also important, and uh, we're losing both of them, Uh, and it's interesting that you demonstrated that private enterprise could save the wildlife, and government doesn't seem very good at doing it at all.
1: Well, that's the way governments are. I mean, governments can't do things very well at all. I mean, we make them do, they do special things that nobody else wants to do, but They they simply haven't got it. The point is that governments should govern. They shouldn't try and do things. They should govern and set the rules by which the system should run under. They should be the rule makers, not the trying to pretend they can do something they can't do. I
0: guess it's what's happened. It's this symbiotic relationship between the commercial media and the bureaucrats where whenever something goes wrong, the media says the government should do something and when the only way government can do anything is to create a bureaucracy that often seems to have a vested interest in failure.
1: Yeah, and that's one of the big mistakes that, that uh, sort of the greenies make, is that they s- insist on the government being, uh, or should do everything, and the government shouldn't. I mean, we don't want a government that does everything. The government, we want people that'll... It'll work and think about and think outside the square and and compete against each other and do these things. There's nothing wrong with that. But the government should set the rules. And they don't set the rules because they're governed not by what is best. They're governed by the lobbyists that talk them into things. So the people that win or get the things done the way they want it are the people that can afford the lobbyists. So the whole thing is mixed up. Democracy can work, but it doesn't work the way we try to make it work.
0: I think you're right, John, and but I, I'm still I'm optimistic, you know, that the Internet is providing a mechanism for, for a lot of this sort of stuff to happen and the regenerative agriculture movement's taken off around the world and the mechanism is that the internet is providing a platform to allow innovative farmers and independent scientists to work together. And the fact that we can have this conversation and we can broadcast it on our little tourist radio stations in Western Australia and we can podcast it, and uh, if you like what we're saying, you can share it. I I sort of see that as the internet providing this sort of uh, diverse web that you talked about in terms of uh, stable ecosystems.
1: Well, look, Barry, the change is enormous, and I know that when I look back. It's just that I get a bit frustrated at times. It's so slow, but... We are actually saving endangered species now by using models that were tested and proven, and so it is happening. But you wonder sometimes why it has to take so long.
0: So the West Australian connection to this conversation, John, you were involved in the successful sanctuary set up at Gidgee Do you want to tell us a bit about that?
1: Yeah. Well, so the a bloke called Martin Copley, who was from Western Australia, came to uh, Warrawong Sanctuary and he saw what it was like and he thought that was good, he'd like one, so he asked me to build him one and I built him one at Gidgee Gamut. it's called the Karakamaya Sanctuary and it's a uh, it's uh, that started him off, and from there he decided he wanted bigger and better ones. And then when the government closed me down, he purchased the bigger sanctuaries and formed the Australian Wildlife Conservancy. And so they uh, they now manage sanctuaries like Scotia Sanctuary and and Yookumurra Sanctuary that I built.
0: Well you're a great innovator John and and uh, and this is playing on a tourist radio and and I see tourism having a place to play in this agri tourism eco getting people out and experiencing these things because this is only going to be successful if the the mass of the population get behind it and if they if they're not aware of these things then they're not going to support it but if tourism provides an opportunity for the people to find out about all this stuff well
1: that's got to be good Yep. And by the way, Barry, I ask everyone to buy them a book. They can go by Vanishing Kind and buy it on the best place for anyone in Australia to buy it is on my website, www.johnwomsley.com And there's a page there on book sales and you just press the button and it's delivered to you. The, the delivery is, is in the charge for the book.
0: That's great, John. And I, I absolutely encourage our listeners to to read John's book, A Vanishing Kind. Thanks for taking the time to talk to us today, John.
1: Well, thanks Barry for talking to me. It's been a privilege. Thank you.
0: John's book, A Vanishing Kind, is a great read and uh, like most things if you go straight to the provider you'll get it at a better price than you will from these uh, big online sites. This book is a must-read for anybody who's interested in the environment and a good read for anybody who isn't. John's uh, been on a fairly difficult path and come out the other side and uh, is an inspiration to me and many other people. And you can buy his book at johnwarmsley.com And like anything you hear about on our programs, uh, we will provide a, a direct link to John's website from within the the, the podcast of this. Well, thanks a lot, John. OK,
1: Barry, I hope it all goes well.
0: You've been listening to Dr John Wormsley talking about his work and his book, A Vanishing Kind, on conversations on Radio WA as we tell the stories of people and places in Western Australia. To hear this story and conversations with other innovators in Western Australia, visit touristradio.com.au forward slash conversations.